and we're glad you're here, and we, we intend not to fire you. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? first reading is from Ezekiel 18, uh, starting in kind of an odd place, but it will make sense. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear you, Israelites. Is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they have committed, they will die. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they have committed and does what is just and right, they will save their life. Because they considered all the offenses they have committed and turn away from them, that person will surely live. They will not die. Yet the Israelites say, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, people of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed, and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Luke 13, 1. Looks like Luke 13, 13 to me, but there we go. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The gospel of our Lord. All praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me, please? A wise saint of old, O Father, has reminded us that the principal maxim of hell is, I am my own. 
you have taught otherwise. We are trying to learn a new way of being, which you call repentance. That we aren't our own, and that's to be a relief. We aren't our own, and that's to be a gladness. We're not our own, and that's to be our security. Will you today, because we're not our own and because we belong to you, will you fiddle with us in a way that helps us see newly, that helps us feel rightly, that helps us think correctly, that helps us apprehend truths that are very easily hidden from our eyes? You know what kind of condition we're in. Oh, please don't abandon us to ourselves. Visit us, Lord Jesus. Visit us. Amen. I wonder if you could tell me, this is a rhetorical device, so please do not actually tell me, but I wonder if you could tell me how many steps you took yesterday. Some of you might even be able to tell me how many steps you took last Monday. I wonder if you could tell me what your resting heart rate is. How many calories you burned last week. Could you, if pressed, tell me what your blood cholesterol level was or your ratio of high and low density lipo somethings, proteins, lipids, something. Lipid panel, that's what it is. HDL and LDL. Do you know how much your 401k went up or down? last week. Hopefully it went up. How many followers do you have on Instagram? You know what your SAT score is or your GPA? There are a great number of ways, helpful ways, clever ways, even reassuring ways that we can quantify ourselves these days. There is a lure to it. Except that the universe and God himself has not seen fit to honor Fitbit's promise that if you get 12,000 steps a day in, that you therefore will not die. There are villainous people and calamitous events and distracted drivers who are not interested in the false assurances we have that we're going to be able to live forever. And a lot of these numbers and these quantifications and these spreadsheeting of our lives are all aimed in some way or another to give us a sense that we're going to be okay. If I have certain health numbers, I'll definitely live a certain amount of time. Nothing bad can happen to me. If I have a certain amount of money, then definitely nothing can happen to me or to the people around me. If I just have enough gold buried in the backyard. Well, Jesus has this 
difficult passage, this kind of passage where I think to myself when I stand here to deliver it, why did I pick that passage again? But I'm glad to pick it because, one, we live in a time where the kinds of things that Jesus says here are not the kinds of things that anybody who talks about Jesus but never reads the Bible would know that Jesus had said. It's one of the irritating things about Christianity. Not only its truthfulness, but its inconvenientness. But the inconvenience is all aimed ultimately towards a relieving kind of joy and a satisfying kind of cure to our deepest ailments that we're vigorously trying to remedy by keeping track of how many steps we've taken or how much money we've earned. And so Jesus has just had this episode in Luke chapter 12 where thousands of people have gathered around him and he begins to teach his disciples. And one of the things he's trying to remind them of is, look, make sure you're giving your life to the right things. Make sure, for instance, that you're fearing the right things. Fear, good. So long as you're letting fear direct you in the right way. So, for instance, he says to his disciples, don't fear people because all they can do is kill you. Okay, so you suddenly know we're dealing with a very strange kind of teaching. All people can do is kill you. What you want to do is fear the people or the one who might be able to do something with you after that. Wouldn't you want to think about that more than the people who could kill you? It's like what is going to happen after you die? And he tells them other stuff. Don't be afraid to acknowledge me before men, and then I'll acknowledge you before the angels and the world when I return. Don't worry about stuff, because I've given you everything. And then he tells them, hey, you guys think you're so clever, because you're able to know that there's a low-pressure system that's going to meet up with a high-pressure system on Wednesday at around 10.30. And this is going to create a swirling effect, and it's going to cause a temperature decrease or increase. You're able to know what the weather's going to do next Wednesday morning. You're able to predict a brewing hurricane in the Caribbean that's going to hit the coast of North Carolina. I don't have any information. I'm making up stuff as I go here. You're able to predict this stuff months out. But you can't, though you're reading the skies, discern what time you're in. You can see these things and predict these things, and you can, you can come up with all these rules of thumb for discerning what's happening, but you're missing what's happening underneath what's happening. Kind of like missing the reality that you shouldn't fear people. All they can do is kill you, ultimately. What about what happens with you after you've been killed? Oy. And so then Jesus continues, and there were some who were listening to him. And they say, hey, did you see that story that went viral? I saw it on Twitter last night. There were Galileans, Galileans, people from Galilee, who had gone up to Jerusalem to the temple. They had made a pilgrimage. They were making sacrifices as the Lord had prescribed. 
sacrifice, like animal slaughter, blood offered, the animal dies, so I don't, that sort of thing. And Pilate, this Roman governor who is ruthless and vile and other extant sources would tell us he was a very wicked and cruel man, he somehow or another either murdered these people or severely maimed and injured them and somehow mixed their blood with the blood of these sacrifices in an act of heinous profanity. They tell Jesus about that. And you could say, what are, what are, why are they telling Jesus about that? Are they telling him, hey, hey, we, we understand about the times. We understand that judgment is at hand. We actually have a story of judgment. We have an amazing story of judgment. Some Galileans must have been really bad. Because they got judged really good. In the worst sort of way. They're bringing this up to Jesus. But he does this peculiar thing that he always does. He doesn't answer the question the way they want. He doesn't respond the way they want. He's not engaging the debate in the way they want. Previous chapter. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he says, well, let me see the will. No! He says, watch out for greed! And here... He answers them, reading their hearts while they tried to test him. Do you think those Galileans were worse than all the other sinners or worse than worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But, and how do you send an emoji like this? Unless you repent, you too will perish. Happy birthday! Jesus is saying to people who think they have something figured out, and they're not that different than what we might say or what we might privately wonder. And certainly in the ancient world, you've seen the book of Job. There's a tendency. You start developing boils, and there's sort of an epidemic that sort of wipes out your family, and your roof falls down on you and stuff. Then clearly, you've done something bad. You must have cheated on your taxes. You must have been mean to the wrong person somewhere, and God is getting you. If you have bad things happen to you, then obviously God's judging you. John chapter 9, you know this story? The blind man that's brought to Jesus? Can't see? The good creation's marred in his life, and so clearly the question they put to him is this. (coughs) Okay, so this guy can't see nothing. So who did it? His parents or him? Who sinned that he was born blind? It has to be one of their faults. This has to be judgment. And Jesus says, neither. But this was done so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. He doesn't enter into their way of thinking. And in here, too, he says, you know that calamity doesn't really reveal so much as you might think. But it can reveal something that God's thinking about, and so maybe you had better too. Jesus wants them to think something when calamity strikes. It's just not the thing that they were thinking to think. 
Jesus wants them to think. He wants us to think something when calamity strikes, when accidents happen, when terrible things happen, when trouble visits you. He wants us to think something. It's just not what we normally think to think. He keeps going. Well, what about those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell? This tower, presumably built on the wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Shoddy construction, perhaps. Millennials, probably. It's a joke, guys. It's a joke. The tower falls. 18 people perish. Jesus says the same thing. You think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? You think somehow or another Jerusalem was a place of sterling innocence before God? And these were the people who participated in the admissions scandal and so God got them? While everybody else cheered on, relieved that they were so pristine in their righteousness? Jesus says, again, I tell you, unless you repent, you too will all perish. this calamity, this accident, these disasters, these atrocities. Jesus says one thing that ought to happen is it ought to wake you up to something. That what happened to each of them suddenly will happen to each of you eventually. What happened to each of them suddenly will happen to each of you eventually. Do you know this? Dear friends, I know it's not pleasant. I know we spend a great deal of time making sure we don't think about this. But one of the things the Bible wants to rudely remind you of is what happens to people suddenly in catastrophe happens to all the people eventually, some way or another. Whether it's cancer or whether it's a peaceful passing off at age 97 in the bed. Whether it's a murderous rampage at a school shooting or a heart attack in your 80s. What happens to some suddenly happens to all eventually. And so Jesus says, the one thing that ought to happen when suffering, startling, troubling life gets taken is people around who see it ought to wake up and say, hey, I'm fearing all the wrong things. Am I loving all the wrong things? Am I ruled by all the wrong things? What's going to happen to me when what happened to them eventually happens to me? That's what Jesus says. You have a choice. You can perish. Which in John, that's the opposite of living forever. Or you can repent and know total joy. Not a bad trade-off. You can come to God and be freed up and become who you're supposed to be and enjoy life forever starting now and into the world to come. Or you may perish in the awfulness of godlessness, being your own God. Some of you watch The Family Guy. I hope not. Neil Plantinga says of the family guy, he's talking about Seth MacFarlane, creator of it, and does a lot of voices on it. Seth MacFarlane, when he was 29, 
was scheduled on September the 11th, 2001 to be on American Airlines Flight 11, Boston to LA. But he had arrived late at Logan Airport and he missed the flight. You who know recent history know that hijackers overtook that flight, flew it into the North Tower of the Twin Towers and at the World Trade Center and met their demise. Terry Gross on Fresh Air said to him, I assume after that narrow escape, when you realized at the end of that day and you could once again face the sun and this whole plane that you were supposed to be on had gone down, I assume you now think of your life, the rest of it, as a gift? And this man who has authored the perhaps the most cynical TV show on TV said, no, the experience didn't change me at all. It made no difference in the way I live my life. It made no difference in the way I look at things. It was just a coincidence. And the preacher who preached this sermon illustration said, McFarlane had created for himself a missile defense system against the threat of all incoming gratitude. He had created a missile defense system to successfully defend himself against the threat of any incoming gratitude. And I think we could say by listening to Jesus against the threat of any incoming repentance. He says, when I saw this, when I saw all of them went down and I wasn't on the plane, I didn't think, wow, what happened to them suddenly is going to happen to me eventually, but why didn't it? Should I start thinking of things differently? That's what repentance is. Should I start seeing the world in a different way? That's what repentance is. Should I start thinking the way God thinks about things? Should I start thinking about God? That's what repentance is. Should I bring God into focus in how I think about my life? That's what repentance is. And he had set up a missile defense system to ward off the threat of any coming, in, incoming thought about that. He decided to stay locked up in himself author of his own demise, director of his own perishing. At the moment, he's still alive. All is not lost. Jesus then told this parable after he said twice, unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you get a new way of thinking, unless you realize that God's visitation has come, unless you realize what you were for, you'll walk off the cliff eventually too. You'll meet up with a judgment too. And then he tells this interesting parable. A man had himself a fig tree. Planted in his vineyard, he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to his caretaker, the gardener there, Doggone it, Phil. For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this thing. Now, I'm no gardener. You know this. But I'm assuming you got, you got an apple tree. An apple tree ordinarily ought to produce, say, some apples. Orange tree. We lived in Orlando. Boom. Oranges. Fig tree. You can do the math. 
But for three years I've been coming and I've been looking at this fig tree and I guess it ain't a tree. I guess it ain't what it's supposed to be because it doesn't have any figs. So I guess it's broke or broke in or dead or something. So why don't you go ahead and chop it down because it's wasting my soil? Yikes. And this kind gardener says, he's sympathetic towards the trees, you know? He loves the trees. Sir, as if he were watching a soccer match, leave it alone for one more year and I'll fiddle with it. I'll dig around it. I'll go down there to 2A and get some black gold, fertilize it real good, get in the root system. And then maybe it'll bear fruit next year. And if it does, fine. And then if it doesn't, you can cut it down then. It's interesting that Jesus, when he tells these people who are saying, look, they must be worse, they got judged. These people who are looking for Jesus to pronounce judgment on someone, and Jesus wants to say, hey, turn it back on yourself. You know, when Kenneth Bailey... uh, a Middle Eastern teacher, when he teaches this to his Middle Eastern students, he said all of them were surprised that these people didn't turn in violence on Jesus. He says in a victim culture like the Middle East, and we might say in America too, and in the first century when the Jews were under the thumb of the Romans, you were very touchy about anyone suggesting that someone look at your you look at your own sins, that you look at your own faults, that you look at your own problems. If something bad happens, it's the Romans' fault. Why didn't Jesus say that? He pointed back to them and said, you need to repent. Don't worry about them. What happened to them suddenly is going to happen to you eventually. So you have time. You've experienced God's lenience. You've experienced God's kindness. You have time to open yourself up to him and learn what you were supposed to be. You know, Israel's supposed to be a fig tree. They're supposed to be a fruitful tree. And then Jesus tells this story about a tree that was about to get chopped down because it wasn't no good anymore. You know, Chesterton told us that a dead thing can go with the current. It takes a live thing to swim against it. We got a lot of dead things around. It's easy to go with the flow of everybody around you. And that's a kind of death. And Jesus is saying, I'm looking around at Israel. I'm looking around, perhaps, at our church, the church. Where's the fruit? And he says, this gardener, though, steps in and says, let's give it some more time. Let's give it some more time. And what's stunning to me, and you can say, is he talking to Israel like Israel? Israel got sacked in A.D. 70 badly. But in an ultimate kind of way, here we are 2019 and Jesus has not returned with his holy angels to bring judgment and to bring in life in the world to come. And the scriptures say to our, why is that? It's because he's so doggone patient. Because the gardener can talk him into holding off. Let's fiddle with it some more. Let's fertilize it. 
Let's give it a chance to, to be what it's supposed to be. A tree that bears no fruit is not a tree. And a human that bears no godness is not a human. But that's what God wants us to be. And so Jesus offers these warnings. He's offering you warnings every day. And some of the warnings are overtures of kindness and invitation. And, and some of them are, are gentle and some of them are stark. We have this, we have this dog, this new dog. I hold my hand like this. He's small. His name is Huckleberry. He goes by Huck. Because he digs nicknames. And Huck is a, he's a good looking dog. Black and white. Very disheveled. And he does this interesting thing in the morning. See, the trainer said, breeder said, social dogs, they need, for while they're puppies, they need to sleep in your, you know, in your room, which was good. So he sleeps in a crate in the room there. And in the mornings, he does this thing to Kathy because he likes her best. He goes, it's like a fake sneeze. He starts with a fake sneeze. It's just a slight little lob. Hey. Bill Egan here tells me he used to have a dog that in the mornings he would wake up and that dog would be, he'd feel it staring at his face this close. Fake sneeze, that's fine. And then you, get, you might get a little, this is a slight little indication. If you keep getting ignored after the fake sneeze and a slight indication, then you might get a, not too loud, not too hateful. Still a respectful little growl. And he's only like six pounds, you know. But if you continue to ignore all of those little gentle warnings, you get a, And once he gets to that point, he doesn't stop that point until he is attended to. He's a good dog. Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. He tells a story about this tree that gets a second chance. It gets an elongation, a stay of execution because of this intervening gardener. And he fills our lives with warnings of sort because he, like little Huck, wants us. Huck barks and fake sneezes and tries to get our attention because he wants to be with us. And we're told that Jesus takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Why would your soul die, he says. And Peter says, some would say, where is this coming that Jesus has promised? He says, he ain't slow. His patience just gets the better of him. He cannot stand it to think about people that he made, that he adores, stiff-arming him forever. So he keeps giving them chances, fake sneezes and sunsets and calamities that happens and near misses and scares and actual suffering so that they will come to him for joy. 
to become fruitful trees as he intended. He knows that what happens to some suddenly will happen to all eventually. And when you warn, you do it because you want to warm the hearts of those who are cold. You want to alert those who have gotten drowsy because you don't want them to fall asleep at the wheel. You want them to get alive where they were meant to go. Will you be erecting a missile defense system against the threat of incoming repentance when you see trouble? When you see hardship? Or will you see it as a gentle warning that says, oh, oh yes, I'm being invited back to the God who daily bears my burdens. I'm being invited to re-see the world and bring God back into vision. His son, Jesus Christ, who has said, here's my choice, total joy or total destruction. And as you always hear me say when we talk about repentance or we talk about the warnings of God, Jesus and God our Father are like good parents. They often give warnings that they do not hope to keep. They threaten punishments that they do not hope to mete out. They hope the threat will wake us up so that we can come to the one for whom we were made. You see, we have a gardener who has interceded and intercepted us and said to the Father, Don't cut them down. Let me fiddle with them. Let me be mowed down instead so that they can be mine. Why would you not keep going to him? With gratitude, with repentance, for life. Amen.